Hello, welcome to Time of My Life with Lawrence Mozafari. That's me, I'm a journalist from London and I'm a presenter as well. This podcast is a fun and thoughtful series of interviews where I speak to remarkable elders with fascinating lives, all to capture their wisdom, anecdotes, and answer some of life's biggest questions from the people who have already lived it. And as you might already know, I'll be asking, what's the meaning of life? Yep, going for the big one. When I think of Mr. Motivator, also known as Derek Evans, MBE, I think of him in bright lycra, leaping around on GMTV when I was growing up. But my girlfriend's first thought was festivals, because of course he's made a living getting thousands of people with hangovers, jumping around in the field, maybe with a cup of cider in hand, and he's had a whole new lease of life to a whole new generation of people. In fact, I think he's got some plans to do some festivals this year, all being well. In this chat, he talks about his long-term health and other people's long-term health, representation on TV, and some of the weirdest and most wonderful things that have come up for his job that might surprise you. He almost collaborated with a band that I love, Idols, on their song, Mr. Motivator, and that's probably the weirdest collab I could think of off the top of my head. Derek ended up being one of my very favorite interviews that I've done for this podcast. He was just so honest lively and full of endless advice. I could have spoken to him for hours, but I didn't. It was just one hour. Take a listen and I'll be back with you after this. My name is Derek Evans, Mr. Motivator, and I'm doing a podcast here called The Time of My Life with Lawrence Mazafari. And it's going to be fun, interesting, and fabulous. Say yeah. Yeah. Uh, brilliant stuff. Thank you so much for joining me. I mean, first off, do you, do you prefer Derek? Is it Mr. Motivator, Mr. Mo? What, what should I call you today? You can call me anything you like. Most people know me as uh, Mr. Motivator, of course. Mr. Um, but Derek is is fine, or Mr. M, or you know, or, or you. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll go with Mr. Motivator because that's how I remember you. And kind of going back to uh, you know when I was growing up, I remember you in the, the Jazzy Lycra back on GMTV and stuff uh, breaking through. And I I imagine that's how so many people remember you. I just wondered if you could go back a little bit further and maybe tell me about your early years and growing up and what life was, was like for you. Well, the funniest thing is, I love the way you say that's how people remember me. I mean, the thing is, I am still out there, still wearing the Lycra. And this is uh, nearly 30 years later. And uh, it's amazing because people won't allow me to get out of the Lycra, no matter how much I try. <laughs> uh, the Lycra is really just something I created to to ensure that people would always remember you. Because, you know, in, in life, um, what do they say? That people may forget what you say, forget what you did, but they won't forget how you make them feel. And, uh, and that became the kind of passport for me to, to ensure I could open the doors so that once I'm inside, I could make people understand that I'm not just about the Lycra, I'm not just about um, exercise, uh, there's more to me than that. And it all began for me uh, many years ago. And, uh, and I think when you're given away at three months of age, you go on a journey that you don't know where it's gonna take you. And uh, when you're with adopted parents who are first generation, um, Caribbean people who came up back in the 1950s to the UK to come and save their mother country and you come up in 1962 um, you come to a place that number one looks strange and number two 
what what future does it hold? Because when you're in the Caribbean, you're told that everybody's white and you've never seen television. Well, in fact, there's very little television. It was only black and white anyhow. You don't even know what a white person is. So it was quite an eye-opener. You don't know what snow is. You don't know what buses are like. You don't know anything. You don't even know what a telephone is like. So um, that was the beginning. And um, and then you go through building blocks that make you make you who you are. And those building blocks are are the difficulties that you go through. And, you know, there are lessons to learn from every one of those. And uh, here I am today, you know. Well, kind of to that point, I know you wrote an autobiography a few years ago, The, the Warm Up, I think it was called, yeah. is that right? Um, yes. And I, I read within that, you spoke about some of the things you went through, like being adopted that you touched on and, and being homeless at some points, I think you saw you mention. Um, I wonder if you could reflect on those moments a bit more, but specifically, is there anything you can pinpoint that really helped you get through tougher times in your life? Yeah, I mean, this, you know, the thing is, it's amazing with life because you make decisions at every crossroads you come to, don't you? And uh, you're never quite sure what's around the corner. So you take that turning and then it leads you down a road. And there was a point um, when I, I was living in Leicester for about 10 years. Uh, my girlfriend got pregnant at age 20. We were young husband and wife with a child. Very difficult. Um, you're earning £14 a week working for... East Midlands Gas Board, uh, that's not enough to really pay rent and look after you. So you come into London in search of uh, better times and better money because it was a thing called the London waiting. So whatever wages you were paid, you were paid a little bit extra on top because it was more expensive to live in the capital. You come up, the job doesn't work out, you end up um, sleeping in someone's lounge, all three of you, and then eventually you're at the homeless family unit. Um, because you have nowhere to stay. And in those days, the homeless family unit we went to was won over by the Arsenal Stadium. And uh, you'd go outside the unit, you'd wait your turn, go inside, they would allocate your bed and breakfast for the night. Uh, you go in to the bed and breakfast, you're there sharing the same kitchen with three, four, five, six other families, uh, bathroom the same. The next day, you're back at the homeless family unit trying to get another bed and breakfast for the night. But the thing is, you know, I think your your upbringing really can give you a lot of strength. And my upbringing was from a religious background. And the Boys Brigade was really an important part of my upbringing. And they taught you so much. I remember the motto of the Boys Brigade being sure and steadfast. For sure, you had to be sure. And for steadfast, you had to be steadfast. So you had to keep on working no matter what, you know, whatever job you could get, whether it was cleaning toilets or stacking shelves in the supermarket. I just did it with the hope and the belief that the price of success is perseverance and uh, but you can't wait for your ship to come in you've got to swim out to it um, and that means you've got to keep on going you've got to keep on opening one of the doors and uh, sometimes they're bolted but just keep on opening and one day you'll go into that door and it will open up a new opportunity you get exposed to new people different um, chances and opportunities in life to shine and and that takes you down another route and that's exactly how things were I tried whatever I could do between the ages of 20 and 30, doing every single job, name it. I mean, I'm working, I was working for stores that are no longer around a lot of them and uh, <laughs> doing whatever I had to do, you know? Um, I, and, but the thing is, it's honestly, it's belief in yourself and that belief gets stronger. The more and more you keep making decisions, um, you know, the, the more you get on. And I remember, you know, Martin Luther King, who told you that if you're gonna be a dustman, be the best dustman that you can. And people see how well you do your job and they will create new opportunities. And in my life, I've seen that. I've seen, you know, do well, shine well. And guess what? Someone will want you to help shine, you know, you to come and help shine their business. 
I've read that within your career as well, you've worked as a motivational speaker as well as a fitness instructor. Um, and it sounds like you've obviously got lots of great wisdom to impart yourself. I wondered, is there a piece of advice that you've been given that's really stuck with you? The thing about motivational speaking, that only came along later. In fact, it only came along when I walked away from GMTV because GMTV was 10 years of trying to get in through the doors and they kept putting me off. They kept telling me that a black man doing fitness would never work. Um, it had to be a woman with two children and she had to be blonde. And you look at Mad Lizzie and you look at the green, uh, that who was a green goddess, look at her. And, and then you realize that in fact, you know, that that's who the advertisers wanted and, and they didn't want you. And, uh, but I was not put off. I, I remember I used to keep going down to, to TVM studios. We're down in, in um, Camden, Camden Lock. And I'd go down there religiously every month and I'd have the editor on the floor showing him what exercises would do. And he kept saying to, to me every time, motivated, what are you doing? Well, Derek, what are you doing here? Uh, I said, well, because I just want to break into television. And he'd say, it ain't going to happen. The advertisers won't allow it. Um, and But I didn't give up. I think in terms of advice, there was no one around really. It's funny. The more well-known you get and the more you're able to be self-sufficient, the more people are willing to give you advice. Uh, you never find that when you're really hungry that someone goes, well, you know something, um, I can really give you this opportunity that can lift you up. No one ever reaches down and give you a hand. You've got to be the one who actually crawl up the side of that well until you get up the top and then, you know, then people start taking notice. Because I'll always remember the very first week after being on GMTV, which started on 23rd of August, 1993, it was a Friday. I left the studios and I, I, I was driving around the road, around by the, uh, the bridges, and I stopped and went into a cafeteria. And I ordered, in those days, I had um, bacon. I ordered a bacon sandwich. And, Practice uh, the champions. <laughs> yes. And uh, the, I took out my money to pay the guy, and he said, no, 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 you don't have to. I said, what do you mean? He said, no, no, you don't have to. You can have it. He said, you bring me someone to join the mornings, doing what you're doing. You don't have to pay me. Now, if I'd gone there a year later, two years later, when I was hungry and said, please, could I have a bacon sandwich? There's no way on earth you'd give me anything. And I'll always remember reading um, some poems by a really great American poet, uh, one of them in particular called Maya Angelou. And she said, people would forget what you did. They will forget what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And that kind of reinforced what he was saying. And that has been my kind of guiding principle, I suppose, with everything I've done since, um, is that, you know, let's strive to make people feel good about themselves. Let's strive to always, always have a kindly word and a good word that you can give to people. You know, if you say to someone, how are you? Wait around to find out how they are. And if you make time for people, you do make them feel good. So the lessons I've learned is often because of how I've immersed myself in my subject. Just to kind of circle back on some bits you touched on there. Uh, yeah. I mean, awful to hear what the advertiser was saying about not wanting to have a black man uh, doing exercise stuff on, on ITV. And I, I was going to come on to this a bit later, but I know you touched on some interviews in BBC Health Check Live UK this yeah. year about the impact of George Floyd's death and also the Black Lives Matter movement. Sure. I guess you, you've had quite a long time in the entertainment industry. Do you feel that things are getting better in that sense, that there's there's... You know, I think sometimes it feels like we still have quite a way to go in terms of diversifying in television in one hand. Where, where do you think the kind of status quo is now? Television is, I think institutionally, they have a real serious problem. 
there's a stereotypical way in which they view um, people of color. When I got on television, I'll always remember, I think it was um, Trevor McDonald uh, was the newsreader. And in fact, there was a real kind of loads of black newsreaders. And I still continue to this day. Comedians, the black person's seen as they're given roles where they're comedians or newsreader. I've been trying for years to break out of the mold where it's not just me just having a laugh. It's me sitting down and having conversations and, and making people understand that, you know, um, I do have the ability to do far more than I'm doing. Um, you get these youngsters who get 15 minutes of fame on television, all of a sudden they are thrown at them. So many different television roles to do. Um, you watch certain faces on television who get on both sides, all channels, they're doing different shows, right? Consistently, they crop up doing, this, doing the same. And yet still, someone who is so recognizable as myself, and someone who has the kind of name recognition or whatever it is, has such great difficulty getting away from just being given these small little three minutes on television. Tremendous difficulty. I've had the BBC going in touch with me and, and said, look, here's a show that we really would like you to do. And in some way it falls down at the end. It doesn't happen. Uh, and I think to myself, what is it? What, what, is, what is the problem? I used to present on, uh, on uh, ITV a thing for children called Time Out with Mr. Motivator. Went around the world filming these, these items which went out and were used because I was so well known to really kind of try and stop children switching channels right um and yes still it's so difficult it's been impossible to get my own show and i've had so many show ideas come come to me by independent um production houses and when it gets into the decision making bodies of television it doesn't happen and i don't understand it i i did bbc health check live last year they had some of the biggest viewing figures they've ever had there was one of my workouts which had over half a million people watching it time and time again. Yes, still, when the show finished and they brought another one back, they didn't think of including me in that show. Instead, they went for someone else. How do you explain that? And then all of a sudden, I, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I did a 90-second thing on BBC Breakfast, which blew, I mean, they had so many people asking for more that they've got interested and said, look, would you like to come on and do the next six weeks? Why do I have to keep proving myself mm. that, in fact, the public like what I do, like what I say, and they, they want more of it? Why, is the, why are the broadcasters so blinkered that they don't take, come out of the zone and go, you know what, if he's making people feel so good, why don't we do a feel-good show with him? Do you think it's partly they need to you know, diversify the commissioners behind the scenes, or do you think it's the same people making the same decisions for quite a, you know, for, for across I'm, these years? I am tired of seeing tokenism. Mm. And tokenism just basically means that what they would do, it's almost like you're putting a bit of coat of paint over that little black dot in the corner just to make sure, right, that you're seen to be actually doing something. They've got to cut it out and they've got to recognize, right, that in fact, there's talent in people, in people. There's talent in race. There's only one human race, right? We don't segment it out because I've seen some amazing films put together by Indians, black people, right? Um, why on earth must we go, well, it's a black person, they can only do this kind of thing. No, 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 stop it, stop it. 
You know, it, it just needs to change. And I've just come to the conclusion at my age, I might as well be outspoken about it because I've, I've been through it. And, you know, here I am 30 years later, far more knowledge of television and presenting than before. Um, have so much to offer in respect of just people's feel good because this pandemic has been one of the worst things that's hit the world. And I've had to spend a lot of time really just the amount of companies, everybody from Google to Allstate to Barclays Bank or whatever it is, get in touch and say, look, we want to make our staff feel good. And we believe that you're the right person. So I do these 12, 15 minutes of movement to music, which is just fun for the whole family. And then we do a 10 minute talk on feeling good about yourself. What is the pandemic? What does the future look like? Is it those trees out there that have lost their leaves, but they stand up tall so that in the spring they can flower again? Is that us? You know, that's motivator. And, uh, and I'm tired of having to prove myself. So right now I just go ahead and create my own shows, create my own channel and, and just do what I think is the right thing to do. I think I think, that's a, I think that's a good move. I mean, I, you touch on the pandemic there, and obviously it's been such a difficult, you know, year. I think politically and and, and with that as well. Um, do you feel optimistic for the future? I imagine you're quite an optimistic guy generally, but I mean, oh, looking forward. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Listen, the pandemic came along because for too many years, right? We've just taken everything around us for granted. We never took time for anybody. We, you know, we would say to someone, "How are you?" But we never wait around to find out how they are. We were too busy. Our mother nature was being eroded purely because we, the drain on everything that mother nature provided was just going on and on and on like there was an insatiable pit of supply. And what's happened? Mother nature has enjoyed the opportunity to breathe again and has given us the opportunity to actually realign our, our priorities and sit down and go, you know what? Every day when I'm rushing off to work, when I'm working late, when I'm spending very little time with my family, when I don't even have time for myself to look after my health, what do I do now? We've all had to be far more creative over the last year. We've had to look after our children. We've had to find time for our children. We've had to had find time to think, to breathe, right? And that's what the, that's the benefits of it. And I believe that we will come out of it better and the norm in the future will change. The norm will not be like how it was. And I believe that lots of us are enjoying working from home. And I think given the choice of splitting home and work, the tech companies have been doing for years. Tech companies allowed their staff to work in the offices and work from home if they wanted to. Now we're realizing we might as well. Why do we have to have huge offices with everybody sitting in there nine to five when half the time they could be at home? Why? Um, kind of touching on the working from home thing, uh, I wanted to ask, is there any advice that you give to people in terms of uh, maybe getting a bit more active every day? Because there's so many people, I guess like myself, not going into the office anymore, pretty much always at home. We've got people self-isolating or shielding perhaps. Um, what kind of thing would you recommend to kind of make, make you get yourself moving in the times you might not be leaving the house as much? You know, with the best will in the world, there's no saying that you can take a horse to water, but you can, can't make it drink. Every single one of us went to school. We did pee at school. We knew, we had, most of us probably had a sport that we enjoyed, whether it's basketball or a bit of tennis or whatever it is, or running, we all did it. And then there's a point at which we realigned our priorities and we go, you know what? Well, I'm on this ladder of success, so therefore I'm gonna look after my business and, and strive hard. And, and, and what, what do we do? We neglect our health. And there's no saying, many a man has sacrificed his health in pursuit of wealth and then had to spend his wealth trying to regain his health. 
and all that he found was the grave. It's 10 o'clock. <laughs> that was a good time, wasn't it? <laughs> um, and, and, and so all of us know that we need to do something. Every single one of us right now listening know we need to do something. I can't make you do anything. What I can do is I can create the environment that you feel motivated in to do something about it, right? But the thing is, we all know we need to do something because the day you, got, you get a dog, you know that you need to take that dog for a walk. Why? Because if you leave it in that home, it's going to mess it up. Number two, then it's going to bite up every single thing in that home. So, you know, if you take it out and it goes for a run, it comes back as a better animal. More <laughs> well, we're no different. The moment you go outside, the moment any one of us go for a walk, go for a run, go up and down the stairs, we tell our friends we've just done that. We tell our mates, you know what I did yesterday? Oh, my goodness. I went for a walk. It was so good. We tell people. The moment you go upstairs and you're out of breath, you tell people, you know what? I need to do something because when I went upstairs, I was out of breath. We all do it. So we know what, that we need to do something. I just go, well, okay, if you really need a bit of help, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put some music on. I'm going to say to you, okay, from now on, visualize this. If you've been sitting at your desk all day, imagine that there's an orange in between your shoulder blades. I want you to gently squeeze out the juice of that orange. The moment you do that, your posture changes. Now, technically you knew that. <laughs> you knew that but what you need to do like that clock that just went off at 10 o'clock it's a reminder that what you should do is you should sit up put the orange between your shoulder blades and squeeze the juice of the orange that's all we need to do and if all we did was stood up and sat down so stand up sit down and do that 20 times every hour we're doing more than we're doing now if what we did was we just turned off the computer or the tv and if you've got stairs, go up the stairs and do it 10 times every other hour. That's great. If yeah. we just put on our clothing and the weather's not pouring with rain and we just go out for a walk, we're going to feel better. Of course we are. If you want to cope with stress, all you've got to do is put on your favorite music and close your eyes and just breathe. That's all we got to do. Make it sound so simple. <laughs> um, it is. <laughs> uh, obviously I'm including the name Mr Motivates and I can you know tell already you're such a positive guy I, I wondered is there any advice you give to to anyone on, on how to stay chipper especially in, in days like these at the minute how would you I think the first thing is look we're all going to have times when we don't feel particularly good it happens to all of us right now some of us it doesn't last very long because we've learned that there's certain little practices we can put in place that can change the location of where we are mentally so right now, I say to everybody, what you got to do is you got to, number one, every single day, count how rich you are. And as you look around, don't just focus on the things that money can buy. Focus on the things that money can't buy. So do you have someone who loves you? That's the blessing. Do you have a wonderful memory of a holiday that you went on a few years ago? Where's the photo album? Pick it up. Let's look through those pictures. Straight away takes you to a place which is a happy place because we never put in photo albums, bad times. It's always those wonderful little memories that's in there. Right? The other thing you can do is that you can go, well, you know what? I'm going to call up my best mate and I'm going to say to him, you know what? Are you okay? Uh, are you eating all right? Are you sleeping okay? And if he says he's not, you can start saying, well, I tell you what, you're entitled to feel the way you feel. So you're giving them permission, but I'm here for you. If you need me to just be virtually sit and listen to your will, if you want to call me at midnight when things are really rough, 
I will. If you want me to have a virtual cup of coffee with you, I will. If you want us to go for a walk and you stay on one side of the road and I stay on the other, that could be a lot of fun, couldn't it? I will. Just doing things like that actually puts you in a better frame of mind and puts you in a better place. Because when you care for someone, there's something about this feeling it gives you that it makes you feel that you're caring for yourself as well. Right? So I think escapism is really important. A book is a really good place to go to. Um, if you're in a busy household with lots of people around you who normally you wouldn't see because you're at work, find time that you can actually just basically put your earphones in and play your own music or put a sign on the door, do not disturb for 30 minutes, right? There's so much you can do. But I think the most important thing is you've got to recognize that you are an important creature and you know, you're not given a good or bad life. You're given a life and it's up to you to make it good or bad. Yeah, that's beautiful advice. Um, I think I'd be over the moon if I had Mr. Motivator ringing me up at midnight <laughs> saying, yeah, you're right, mate. Yeah, you do, mate. Obviously, we wanted to talk to you a bit more about your work on GMTV back in the 90s because it, it was so iconic. Um, I just wondered if you could talk a bit about like how that was and how that breakthrough was for you and, and working with the crowds. And I guess like, where did the name Mr. Motivator come from? I guess is a, an obvious one yeah. to ask as well. Well, my first little break in television came when it was this morning, a show, a show, a show presented by um, Richard Maidley and uh, Judy Finnegan this morning. And that was my first break. Um, and it was only by chance. And they used to put me out, send me out to the crowds, into the shopping centers and, and get me to just get them doing some kind of exercise. And at the time, I wasn't even qualified to do exercise, but I, I bluffed my way into it. And uh, uh, I used to go out and they used to say, well, we've got a man out there who's motivating the crowds and that resonated with me and I thought oh and so that's really how I got the name Mr Motivator um and then when GMTV happened after I said a lot of years and um and and I ended up in fact because life is just a whole sequence of right turns left turns and 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 eventually I'd ended up on a show that Gloria Honeyford was presenting called Sunday Sunday and she had heard about my classes because my exercise classes were popular. People used to travel 15, 20 miles to come to my classes. We used to have 150 people in a class. And this is back in 1980s, you know, and uh, it was just, uh, it was great. So I knew I had something going for me. And, uh, and, and then it so happens that that kind of spread and the British Heart Foundation got me doing this around the country, talking to people about the benefits of exercise. And Gloria Honeyford heard about that, invited me on her show, did her show. She said, would I like to train her afterwards? Uh, she, so I used to travel to her home in Kent three times a week to train her. And uh, before I knew it, Eamon Holmes, who's also Irish, heard about me training her, asked me to come and train him. He was then the presenter on GMTV. I ended up down at the studios training him. Lorraine Kelly used to come down sometimes and train the weather girl, Martin Frizzell, who's now the, director, the editor of um, This Morning. Everyone used to come down and train with me. And one day I was just sitting in the reception waiting for them to come down and this guy walked in, had a large stomach. And I don't know, till this day, I don't know what happened, but I got, got up, walked over, prodded him in the belly. And I said, you need to sort that out. Turned out he was a program controller of GMTV. I found out what floor he was on. He was on the fifth floor. So the next day, and those days, you could just go in the lift and go anywhere in the building. I just took my bike in, pushed it in his office, left it there. Two days later, I went back and said, you need to use this bike. He asked me, why am I hounding him? I said, because you need to look after yourself. I found out you're the controller. And that means you've got responsibility to other people. So you need to look after yourself. You know, don't forget an independent, healthy you is important to you, your family, and your work colleagues. 
we, I convinced him to start training. Started training and very quickly said, we wish we could get you on television, but the advertisers won't do it. In the end, what happened was that the girl who was then doing fitness on television decided to go on holiday for two weeks. And the advertiser said, look, in that two weeks, we won't advertise around the fitness slot. Why don't you give him a chance to do it? I went on and the rest is history. Mm -hmm. uh, the advertisers changed their mind. They were flocking to get around. Everybody wanted to do it. St. Ivo, name it, you know, uh, Vitters. They all wanted to advertise around my slot. Um, and that's how things happen. And that's why I say to everybody, don't give up, you know, because the thing is, someone who tells you no today may not be in that same position in 10 days time. People move on in this world and the new person who comes into that position, all of a sudden you walk into the office and go, I'm here. They may be far more receptive to you than the previous person. So never give up. Keep on banging away at the same door if you have to. Trust me, one day someone will open it up because they'll be a different person the other side of that door. And that's what I believe that every single one of us must do. If you're at a crossroads in your life, just keep on working away. Keep on doing it. Just keep on believing yourself. Keep on hoping. Yeah, it will come. I'm a big lover of anecdotes. <clears throat> uh, someone once said to me that um, kind of the aim of life is to be sat around the, the dinner table with all the best anecdotes to reel off and then you've kind of like nailed life. Um, I wondered, is there any that really stick out from your own experiences that you, you love to reel out or love to recall? Not really, but you know, there are there are life lessons that um, for me I come across and, and often it's things that are relevant to the time and where we are. And there's one I've been repeating recently um, quite a bit when I do these talks. And I was trying to create a situation where people would understand fully what we are going through and it would make them think. And, and, it's, and it's this, you know, once a week we um, put our washing on, don't we, to wash our clothes. So we go down to the washing machine, put all our dirty clothes in, and then we put um, soap powder in, we put the softener in, and we set it on this program. And those clothes then get wet and they get twisted and turned and pulled in all different directions. A bit like what's been happening to us over the last year. They get pulled and twist, and then there's a spin. It gets dizzy, the clothes get spun around and spin, spins faster and faster. And then eventually there's a bleep on that machine. And once you hear that bleep, you know it's come to the end of the program. A bit like us, we're gonna to come to the end of that program. We're gonna to come to the end of the pandemic eventually. And you open the door and when you open the door, the clothes come out cleaner than they were before. That is what I believe is gonna to happen to us. And the only thing is we don't know when that bleep on the machine is gonna go off, but it's gonna happen. Everything's on a big, long four-hour cycle, I think. <laughs> the, big, the big, mega, yeah, clean one. <laughs> but, it, but it is a cycle. And, and I just thought, that is so relevant, isn't it, really? Didn't you do some music back in 2012? I always remember that track you did. Was it In the House with To and Fro? I thought that was I'm such a... In the House, yeah. yeah. Oh, that was fun. I'm... And that came about you know, because some students got in touch and said, we got this idea for a track. And I met them down in, um, of all places. It was um, Camden Town. And, uh, and and we sat down and talked about it. And I said, yeah, let's do it. And they organized everything. They organized the film crew, um, the photographer. They were all students. And uh, and we put it together. Yeah, it That's incredible. Oh, it's incredible. So, I was re-watching it the other day when it came to mind. And yeah, it was such a fun fun video. Um, I wanted yeah. to ask as well that uh, the band Idols did a song called Mr. Motivator last year. Yeah. I don't know if you, were you aware of it and, and have you heard I it? I was aware of it, that, yeah. They got in touch with me and said, would I like to be on it? And um, Originally, when they got in touch, the language was not that good on it. I didn't like it. There was a bit of swearing and stuff like that. And I don't swear. 
and so it didn't sit well with me. So I said, no, it's okay. You guys do your thing. So they've run away. They had good hit with it, very good hit. I mean, it's um, I think it's had nearly a million downloads, I think, so far. That's really interesting. You almost on there. Um, and kind of speaking mm-hmm. of music, uh, when I was prepping for the interview, and I was I was telling my girlfriend that I was going to be speaking to you, I was like, oh well, Mr. Motley, I remember him on GMTV back in the day. She's like, oh, what's GMTV? And she goes, I remember. I thought he was famous from Bestival and Festival. She thought that you were like a festival yeah. stage. And I was like, oh, of course, yeah, you performed in front of those massive crowds what was and it feels so foreign now because you know festivals are so far away from what we're doing what what was that like to do doing those sort of workouts with big festival crowds and i guess to kind of almost a new audience perhaps than you might have yeah yeah it was quite interesting because i got approached by the guy who owns a, a fairly large company that does a lot of music festivals and he said to me derek you got time would you like to travel with me up to middlesbrough and i said yeah i've got time whatever date was so we drove up to middlesbrough and he, um, we ended up in this field and he said to me, um, I think this is the future for, um, could be the future for you, but also the future for, for festivals. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, there's a festival happening here and it was called Beat Herder, I think it was. And it was right in the deep in the forest. And he said, look, down the bottom, look down the bottom of the hill, there's a stage. He said, I think if you could get people to move with you, you'd have a future doing music festivals. So he said, look, I give you some money in your pocket if you go on stage and do something. So I said, okay. I remember he gave me a grand. Right? So I went down to the stage, put on my gear, and there was no one around. I chose my tracks and I shouted out, motivator in the house, I need your body. And out of the out of the trees and out of the wood came all these people, hippies, loads of them. Till eventually there must have been, it was a small festival. So it was like about 1500 people in the state on front of the stage. And I rocked it. <laughs> Afterwards, he said to me, he said, that's what I'm talking about. And so since then, it's kind of grown and grown where I do, I do best of all, I do, I've done the Isle of Wight. It was called best of all. Yeah. In the Isle of Wight. And that was like 40,000 people moving in front of the stage. Then I do why not and truck festival. And most of those is just incredible because they would have me come on at 11 o'clock first act on and you get thousands of people there were working out and they're all from young they're all teenagers you know they're from 15 16 upwards right and everybody's rocking it with signs saying we only hear from mr motivator <laughs> it, was just, it was just it was just incredible and they've been a good part of my stable i'm normally booked into about 15 16 of them every year and i do ones in austria and places like that staple in my life and and this year it's changed and that's why i've decided to do all the things i'm doing you know so it's been uh, the club is a big thing for me, the Mr. Motivator Club. It's um, something we've been working on for years and I've spent time doing it now. So it's a place where people can actually get just lots of information about your well-being, And it's a place if you want to escape to and have some, just some uplifting messages you can find. If you want to be exercise, you can. If you want some sensible eating plans, you'll be able to do it. And so it's, it's been launched and that's the Mr. Motivators Club. Am I right in thinking that you're 68 now? 69 this year 69 this year um well as as we sort of touched on you know you're, you're so active you've got so much going on so many you know approaches and businesses and stuff like that and uh, you know more active than myself definitely and, yeah, and people that are, that are much younger i think that i wanted to ask is there something that's like you really love about about getting older and kind of the wisdom that, that comes with it and is there a more challenging yeah. side to it do you think because I read many years ago, and this is, I believe is so true. But it, and the saying was that teenagers are freaks of nature. 
but older people are works of art. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I fully believe that because I'm, I'm embracing getting older and I'll tell you why. I never neglected my health. I never took my health for granted. And, and because I never did, I believe that's why this age, I haven't had anything wrong with me. Yes, as we get older, things are bound to happen. But I believe in the curative power of exercise, in that any condition that may be bubbling under the surface, it slows down the rate of its deterioration. And then equally, if you had to go into hospital, it helps you to recover much quicker. So every single person, no matter who we are, no matter what age we are, the moment you start being active, that's the moment you put the brakes on and you ensure that in fact you have in the fitness and health reserve bank, lots of reserves that you can call on when you need it. When, when you're 68, you've been through the university of life. So there's nothing that happens that you probably haven't seen before or heard of before. So the pandemic to me is no different to the loss of a loved one. I mean, my circle of friends used to be in my 30s, it was huge, maybe it was 30 people. In my 40s, it's 20 people. In my 50s, it's 10, right? And when you're in your 60s, you're down to four or five really close friends. That's what, that's the circle of life. But what do you do? Every single day, life experiences teach you things and they become the foundation stone for how you cope with things again further on in your life. And so nothing surprises me anymore. In fact, I think what getting older has done for me is that he's given me permission to be outspoken, permission to actually be naughty, permission, <laughs> right? permission for me to just laugh at things that some people would go, well, that's not politically correct. I don't care. I just laugh because <laughs> life is too short for me to be anything but happy. This podcast is kind of all about championing the wisdom of, of people very much schooled in the university of life. And I really want to try and dispel like issues around ageism and stuff. So I still think it's, it's quite rife. Do you think that we're still quite obsessed with age as a society? And do you think, and what, I guess what advice uh, beyond, beyond exercise would you give to people to make the most of their later years in life? Well, I mean, the, the thing is, right. I mean, I mentioned exercise because I think it's one of the, we owe it to ourselves to be as independent as we can as we get older. The only thing that's gonna create that independence is for us to be active. Because the moment we stop being active, we can't wipe our own backsides. And that's why we need to take control of our lives because I don't want to be dependent on anybody. And being active will give you that independence. So I've said it like it is, right? And what we all need to do, and it doesn't matter right now, if you feel that you can't do something, you can, you can. It's gonna be small steps. It's a bit like you have a serious accident and you have to have a physiotherapist who teaches you how to walk again. They teach you in small steps how to walk again, but eventually you'll walk again. Right now, we can all make a change, make a difference. And it all boils down to being active. And when you have an physically, if you're active, mentally comes into place as well at the same time, a mental workout. So tax yourself, do Sudoku, um, do challenging puzzles, read books, um, you know, um, listen to game shows where there's lots of questions being asked all the time. That's what you've got. You've got to take control of your life. And I intend to continue to control it the way I've controlled it because I know I'm reaping the benefits of everything I've done. But this, the thing that's driven me is being active. And I would hate tomorrow to lose that ability to be active, right? And I, I really feel sorry for those who develop a condition which is beyond your control. But trust me, if you try and be active in whatever measure, whatever way you can, you're going to get the benefits. After all your wonderful work with 
health and fitness and I know that you received a, an MBE last year and congratulations I guess like first to say that's that's an incredible achievement and I just how did it feel to to get an MBE and I wondered what other achievements are you still striving for? Well you know I've been I've been so blessed and I and I I was really honoured when the message came through that it was for services to health and fitness of the UK whereas other people at the time were getting it for their work in COVID. Mine was actually for service to health and fitness of the UK, because that meant that it was just this wider thing. And also it meant that the journey I've been on for the past 30 years has been recognized. That was a great thing. But I've had so many wonderful things in my life. I've met so many different stars. I mean, GMTV exposed me to so many things. I've done things I never expected to. I remember once they closed part of the, the strip in Vegas for me to do a live transmission into the UK one night at midnight because the time difference meant that it was uh, six o'clock or whatever it is here, right? I've, I've done, uh, one of the best jobs I've ever done was to do a video for the MS Trust um, because I had to learn about MS, which I knew very little about. And it made me really appreciative of the fact that my muscles work every day, but we could get up tomorrow morning and your muscles may not work, right? Um, I've, been, I've been around the world. There's not really a country I haven't been to um, I've worked in some way. Um, so I've really been blessed in terms of things that's happened. Um, but at the end of the day, the one thing I recognize is that we must make time for each other because we don't know what internal battles that person may be fighting. And just by making time for them, it just shows that you care. And also, there's no harm in you reaching out for people to give you a hand. It doesn't mean that you've failed. It doesn't mean that you're not a success because you reached out. All it means is that you're not alone. Um, you touched on the amount that you've travelled there, and there was something also I wanted to ask you about. Uh, you've travelled so many countries. I know you've lived in Jamaica for a time. Is that right? Yeah. Um, is there anywhere you'd really recommend people travel to and, and see for themselves when we're all allowed to? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, 2019, I, I called my son who works in LA. I said to him, look, we haven't met up in a, in, in a year. Why don't we meet up in, in Thailand? So he flew from LA one way around and I flew from this side the other way around. We met up in Thailand. We spent three days in Thailand and then we went on to Bali and we spent um, about seven days in Bali. That was the most wonderful experience in life. Number one, the simplicity of everything. Yes, they had all the trappings of fast internet and stuff like that, but it was a simplicity in terms of everything. And people really, you know, I never once heard um, the police siren or an ambulance. I never heard it. And it's just amazing to see all these people on bikes going everywhere. And, and the food was so good. And I can't wait to do it. In fact, only this morning I was looking through those pictures because as I said to you earlier, you know, you're, if you really want to lift your spirit, look back through your albums at good times, right? It does lift your, lift your spirit. And yeah, uh, I think that's the one place. And as soon as this lockdown is over, trust me, most of my work at the moment is virtual because companies call up and want me to actually do talks. I'm going to go to a different country each month. And as long as they've got high speed internet, I'm going to continue doing my work from those countries. So one day I could be on a beach in Bali. Next time I could be in Chile, right up in the hills doing it, but I'll transmit live into, into the UK doing my stuff. That's it. That's my plan. That sounds amazing. That sounds much better than my working from home. <laughs> you, could do, you could do the same thing because doing this, anywhere in the world couldn't you this is true this is true i mean that that would be the dream if we could all work from home forever then yeah that'd be amazing i'd rather be on a beach in bali i'll totally say that <laughs> yeah 
I saw uh, you gave a really frank and I thought really interesting interview with This Is Money, um, kind of all about uh, money and, and pensions and um, payments you had in life. I wanted yeah. to ask off, off the back of that, how important do you think is money to, to a happy life and what advice would you give to others around it? Do you think the kind of so many people quest for money and, and riches throughout, throughout their lifetime and equate it to happiness? What's your kind of take on it looking back? When you haven't had right? You look at things very, very differently. So I'm really cautious when it comes to spending and wasting and stuff like that. And I, and I, and I don't, and I also don't really believe in, in this mass saving that people do for pension. I've seen too many people who have all these plans saying, that's my pension. And as soon as I retire, I'm going to do it. And they didn't make it. They didn't make it at all. And so my view is that you should enjoy yourself while you can, right? And as long as you've got a little bit to pay your bills, that's all you need. Right, but enjoy yourself, everything you earn, make sure that you actually just have a good time because that way you've got the memory. Because listen, this pandemic just came out of the blue. And look what it's done to all of us. Doesn't matter how much money you got, you ain't going nowhere, right? This last year you spent no money. All you've done is bought food, new shirt <laughs> didn't matter, new car didn't matter, new TV didn't matter. Yeah, so I, I, so I think putting things into perspective, I think that look, yes, yeah, strive for some money because it gives you your independence. But don't make it the, the be all and end all so you forget about human interaction and being kind to people and being nice to people and making time. One thing, I mean, you're such a positive guy and I, I imagine the answer might be no, but looking back, is there anything from your life that you, you wish you could have done differently or approached differently or opportunities you could have taken? I don't regret anything no. that I've done, never. And I'll tell you why. The measure of whether any decision you made years ago is right or wrong or whether it was good or bad is where you are now. If I'm dead, then I made some tough decision years ago. If my leg is broken, I made a bad decision. If I'm in hospital, I made a bad decision, but I'm not. I'm sitting here healthy, feeling good. So therefore every single relationship that at the time I thought, shame that didn't work out, wrong. The reason why it didn't work out is because it was leading you to better things, right? So there's no saying, and that is sometimes good things have to fall apart so that better things can fall together. And that's what I honestly believe. So I don't regret nothing. I don't regret any relationships I've had. I don't regret any companies I left or jobs I walked away from because where I am now is a measure as, as to whether the decision I made then was the right or wrong decision. That's an excellent way of looking at it. And I think only really, the only way, the only way. Um, and that brings you quite nicely to where I wanted to finish off. So one thing that we ask everybody that comes in the podcast is uh, the big question, the big eternal question of what's the meaning of life? Kind of kind of looking back through your experiences and what's your sort of top line take on what it all means after, after having lived such an interesting life? Well, I think, you know, because I think the meaning of life is to live as long as you can, be as caring as you can, share as much as you can, laugh as much as you can, be happy as much as you can and just love and live life like there's no tomorrow. Thank you so much. Um, I think we could all use a bit more, bit more Mr. Motivator in our lives and what, what so many life lessons to take away from that one. So thank you so yeah. much for your time. Yeah. And Mr. Motivator, you, that was incredible. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, matey. Yeah, be well, all right? Cheers for listening. Like, honestly, I've really, really appreciate the support all the way through this podcast. I've done five episodes and it's been quite a juggle trying to do this alongside uh, my full-time job, but I'm definitely really, really keen to continue. I'm seeing this as a limited series and then hopefully coming back with another chunk when I've got some more time. And 
Hopefully you'll be here to listen to them. If there's someone that you'd love for me to interview, then please do get in touch and let me know if you've got questions for me or you just kind of enjoyed this podcast and would like to share it with someone else, then please do so. If you want to stay in touch with me about future episodes of the podcast or anything else that I work on, then you can contact me on Instagram at Lawrence Mozafari or on Twitter with at Lawrence underscore Moza, or you can find my Facebook page if you search for Lawrence Mozafari Journalist. Just to point out, my incredible intro music and backing music, which you can hopefully hear right now, was produced by a very good friend of mine, Joshua Ferreira. He's a multi-instrumentalist and music producer, and he's also in a really good folk cover band called The Chaps, and they basically use live instruments to cover dance music, UK garage and club classics all kind of melded with a folky take on it. Once you've heard Ibiza anthems in like a folk remix you can never go back and trust me they're so much fun. You can hear more of Josh's music by searching for Joshua Ferreira on Soundcloud or you can check out thechapsband.com. If you'd like to support me for the production of this podcast and future episodes then please head to ko-fi.com slash lawrencemozafari. That's ko-fi.com slash Lawrence Mazafari. Thank you so much again for listening. As I've mentioned before, this is a long time coming, this podcast. I massively appreciate the support. If you can give me a positive review, that would be absolutely huge. Take care and be lucky. So could I get you to say, my name is Derek Evans, okay, Mr. Motivator, and this is Time of My Life, Lawrence Mazafari. You expect me to say that second name? Lawrence who? <laughs> Lawrence who? <laughs>